0: Friends, and welcome back to the NeuroDiverging Podcast. My name is Danielle Sullivan, and I am your host. Today we are talking to an excellent person, Dr. Jen Blanchett. Dr. Blanchett is a licensed psychologist, trauma expert, fitness expert, and concussion clinician. Try saying that three times fast, if you please. She tailors coaching to mental health and total wellness needs of her clients. She also podcasts at TBI Therapist Podcast, which streams wherever you listen to your podcasts. Jen is going to be talking to us all about... Um, Traumatic brain injury, acquired brain injury, acquired neurodiversity, and what that means for the patient, what um, traumatic brain injury can look like, what some of the outcomes are like, what people with brain injury struggle with, and she'll be sharing with us um, some interventions that can really support folks with acquired brain injury and um, just how we can help and be open to the needs of people with this acquired disability. We'll also be talking a little bit about what it means to have a neurodiversity that is an acquired neurodiversity as opposed to something you're born with, which is something we often talk about here on neurodiverging is people who are born autistic or ADHD or with other sorts of uh, Down syndrome, other sorts of neurodiversities, right? But having an acquired brain Injury can sometimes mean that you acquire some traits of neurodiversity like executive dysfunction, attention issues, and some other things that are, are very similar to what a lot of us face today. So this is a really interesting conversation, and I hope you'll stick around and listen. Be- before we get into that, I just want to say a huge thank you, as always, to my patrons who support the NeuroDiverging Podcast. We would not be here without patronage from you. I really appreciate it. If you would like to become a patron or find out more about making a monthly pledge to support the NeuroDiverging Podcast and our low-income coaching clients over on the NeuroDiverging Coaching Arm, please go to patreon.com neurodiverging and check that out. We would love to have you. And without further ado, let's talk to Dr. Bunchet. So welcome, Dr. Blanchett, to the Neurodiverging Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. It's good to see you. How's your day going?
1: Great, great. Just finished up my day here at the office, so I'm glad to be here with you and just have this conversation. I'm excited.
0: I was very excited to hear from you. So you are a uh, clinical psychologist and you work with folks who've had an acquired brain injury or a traumatic brain injury. And what originally got you interested in, in working in this field?
1: It's an interesting story a little bit <laughs> because I think a lot of, in this this is a, a theme throughout my life, is many career transitions with me happen like out of sheer like necessity. Mm-hmm. So I, I think me find, this work found me, I didn't find it. I didn't go out to seek it, but I found it anyway. So I was jobless with a doctoral degree in a new city. And I decided to cold call a neuro rehab program and say, hey, would you like a (laughs) postdoc? And like pump myself up a lot of energy and Mm. Beyonce might have been part of that mix. But (laughs) I they took me. They wanted me because I think what they really wanted is a therapist. They Mm. didn't really want someone who just wanted to do the neuropsychological testing. So they wanted me to run groups, they wanted me to do some neuropsych assessment and evaluation, but that wasn't like my primary role on my postdoctoral residency. So I had a lot of training in therapy and Mm -hmm. they really liked that. They liked that I was interested in talking with people and sitting with people so um I, I found that the work was I was just kind of shocked by what I didn't know, first of all, mm-hmm. and I was reading like this dense neuropsychological textbook trying to understand like, oh, what is that? Oh wow. So part of it was me kind of figuring things out, mm-hmm. and I think, as a therapist, I didn't find there was much of a blueprint. Mm-hmm. So, of course, my supervisor was there, and you know, I was like, okay, use some CBT cognitive behavioral therapy or we have we got this DBT group, which is Dialectical <laughs> Behavioral Therapy. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll spell out the acronyms for those just you know, <laughs> who don't know. Uh, but besides that, it was, it was really eye-opening. And mm-hmm. I really fell in, in love with the people because the unique issues that they presented with seemed so isolating mm-hmm. and misunderstood. So I think that's just a little bit of backstory about my, the way that brain injury work found me. That's really cool that you were
0: able to just sort of jump in and find something that suited you so well. Sometimes you end up with stuff that you don't really enjoy, but this sounds like the complete opposite. That's fantastic.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I worked with different professionals too. So I worked Mm. with PTs and OTs and speech therapists and we all collaborate on the the care of the person in front of me. So I I really found that really helpful.
0: So I know that, you know, Traumatic brain injury, acquired brain injury, and if there's a difference, you should tell us about what the difference is. But also, that there are so many repercussions with something like that happening, and so many professionals that then have to jump on and try to help support uh, rehabilitation for the patient. Um, what are some of the most common consequences that you see from from these injuries, and like what folks are dealing with on a day-to-day basis?
1: Yeah so if i've seen one brain injury i've seen one brain injury i think <laughs> that's <laughs> if i can start with that Yes. so because every brain is so unique so i mm. would think probably like you primarily i think talk with most people on the spectrum is that fair to say or not fair to say
0: uh i think it's a lot of adhd and autistics but then so we've had occasional folks who have other kinds of uh, either medical issues or neurodiversities happening but not so many i work with a couple of folks who've had a, a traumatic brain injury and are post-concussion, but I don't think we've had any of them on the podcast yet. <laughs> so okay. yeah. yeah, so you might be our first kind of podcast introduction to this topic, which is pretty fantastic.
1: Yeah, so I'm just kind of seeing where, where people are with, yeah. with regard to this topic. So mm-hmm. if I, I'm gonna back up just a little bit and talk Please. about acquired brain, in, brain injury. So there's you know an acquired brain injury, which is our umbrella term that encompasses all of brain injuries that are acquired. So not, we say acquired because congenital brain injuries are something that you got from a congenital or birth situation. Mm -hmm. So that would be like someone um, who has an autism spectrum diagnosis. Mm -hmm. They would not have an acquired brain injury, although they could have had something that happened in the consequence of the birthing process Mm -hmm. or pre-birth that, that affected their brain health. Mm -hmm. Right. So, then you kind of under acquired brain injury you have uh you know things like tbis Mm -hmm. you have concussion which is a type of tbi a lot of people don't know that that a concussion (laughs) is a tbi it's a mild tbi but it is a tbi it seems traumatic enough to me (laughs) yeah well and i think some people you know they they had a jostle to the head they didn't have a blow Mm -hmm. to the head and they think oh well that i didn't have a tbi Mm -hmm. you know i i I was in a car accident and i didn't hit anything But they did have a traumatic brain injury Mm -hmm. because there was injury to the brain. There could have been axonal shearing where axons, which is part of the neuron, actually Mm -hmm. shear. They separate from each other. So um, the most common type of TBI is actually a fall. So Mm -hmm. most people don't know that. They think it's a car accident. They think it's, you know, some kind of major football injury. It's not. (laughs) It's a fall, especially for adults. So mm-hmm. I see a lot of adults here in Maine who have fallen on the ice, mm-hmm. and they haven't been in a car accident or um, had some kind of sport-related concussion. Yeah. So other acquired brain injuries that I've worked with and that are out there are certainly things that can happen, like um, toxic mold. You know, mm-hmm. you can have an acquired brain injury from something like acquired from toxic mold, uh, Lyme disease. Mm-hmm an anoxic injury where you lost oxygen to your brain. So there's lots of ways that you can have an acquired injury that don't require like the head jostling or Mm -hmm. the head being hit in some way. So that's just a little bit. I don't know if you wanna unpack any of that or.
0: No, that's really helpful. So you have, I mean, maybe we can talk about it more, how it plays into neurodiversity, but you have folks who are born with a brain the way the brain is. And then you have folks who um, are born with a brain and something affects the brain very broadly, just to really <laughs> make very basic all the things you just said, where they have an injury, a fall, a stroke, a, a mold event, something like that, that yes, changes something stroke, about the brain. Yes, I which is a
1: major one, so thank you for saying oh, stroke. Oh, that's okay.
0: That's, is, but so the, you kind of have these two strains, but you could ha- also have somebody who say was born with a different brain and then also had some kind of acquired brain injury on top of that. So there's, like you said, uh, all brains are different. If you've met one, you've met one because there must just be layers and layers and layers of what's going on for folks. So, yeah. So what are some of the, like, how do people recover from these? Like what are, if say you've got a traumatic brain injury, just to like reduce the, what we're talking about a little bit more, like, so you said a fall is the most common one, right? So if somebody falls, has a brain injury, I guess, what might their symptoms be once they're woken back up? And then what does like a recovery look like from that? I know that's a big question.
1: <laughs> it's a big question. And I can think I can talk in broad strokes yeah. a little bit about what that might look like for mm-hmm. people. So, in initial recovery, so if we're talking about maybe more of them, if they're in the hospital, we're probably talking more of a moderate or severe TBI where they've lost consciousness for, mm-hmm. you know, probably at least three, four hours, possibly over 24 hours. So, if that's happened, they probably had a significant blow to the head. Mm-hmm. And initially, that can look like a headache you know, that can like pain to the actual had swelling. So they might have to have some kind of surgical procedure to reduce any swelling on the brain. Uh, They might have to have some kind of brain scans to see if there's anything that needs to be fixed, basically. Mm -hmm. From there, then they're going to kind of see what can this person do. Has there been, you know, they're looking at basic functions in the body Mm -hmm. and the brain. So they're going to do some evals to see is their speech affected is movement affected, um, basic daily functions of living. So that's Mm -hmm. in the hospital. They're going to focus on that. And I think most of most of us do have a concept of what that looks like in a hospital, right? You're going to have OT come in, they're going to help you with maybe writing stuff or like remembering things, uh, with speech therapy, they might help you with speech production, but also memory. They work Mm -hmm. on memory as well. And then PT, you know, they can work on a whole host of things, but a lot of that will be movement related. Mm -hmm. So in the hospital, it looks like that. And basically their job is to kind of make sure you can do your activities of daily living or your ADLs. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, I think they're looking at, you know, can they kind of do other things psychologically? There's not so much of a focus on how are you feeling after this? Yeah. Yeah you know, did you have this life or death experience? Was there a trauma, which mm-hmm. I'm a trauma expert, so I often think through the lens of trauma, and was this incident traumatic for mm-hmm. that person, and how are they gonna recover from the trauma of whatever happened to them in mm-hmm. that brain injury? So I also think through that lens, and often that's not addressed very well in the hospital, but yeah. that's, again, that's not their role so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think neuro rehab centers do, you know, have psychology involved in treatment, so that can be, you know, something that happens. So that's initially. So there's there's a whole host of symptoms we could talk about that can happen, mm-hmm. but you know, memory functions can be impaired, speech can be impaired, movement, uh, and then how someone responds to that then varies by the person and the injury. So okay. the more severe injury could be the more prolonged recovery so they might have to stay in the hospital longer they might have to stay in rehab longer mm-hmm. so that's kind of a broad stroke about a little bit about tbi i don't know if you have any questions there
0: well that's really helpful thank you just for folks who are like kind of just very introductory to this topic and just sort of starting to learn about it because i know that when um when you first got in touch with me and and actually prior to having i guess my first client who'd had reported a concussion and they were still recovering from it It was a couple of years ago. Um, And outside of working with those couple of clients, I really hadn't had a a good understanding of of what it encompassed. Um, But I know that one thing that might be interesting to folks to learn about is that some of the kind of fallout from um, a brain injury um, can be, and and I think you mentioned a couple, I guess it was maybe in, in our email chain, um, you had mentioned things like social pragmatics can be affected and um, executive function and and memory, like you just said, can be affected. And so there are a lot of things that can change in the brain as a result from this injury that are similar to what some of us with different brains like autism, adhd are dealing with too, which I found really interesting. Right. Um, do people tend to and again this is a broad question but is it likely to recover completely after a traumatic brain injury say if you're younger and relatively healthy and you have a fall um, do do most of your do you regain most functionality after a number of years or is it likely instead that you'll have sort of long lingering kind of effects from it yeah again
1: it it totally (laughs) depends on severity of injury Um, If we're talking about concussions, let's let's Mm just talk about maybe like a mild TBI. So mild TBI, most people, which is the most common type of unacquired brain injury or type of TBI, Mm -hmm. most people do recover. I would say majority, Mm -hmm. probably 80-ish percent, recover from that. So you maybe have 20% that don't. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if we're thinking about what that person might need or what that person experiences, Mm is you can think about, so attention is one of the biggest symptoms we work on after a brain injury. So attention is impaired, which then impairs the whole host of the brain. Mm -hmm. Because basically we need information to be able to get into the brain to remember it. So if we have a limited capacity, I think of like, okay, before I had maybe like an eight ounce cup that I could fill up in my mind. Now that thing's been reduced to like two-cup size Mm -hmm. and so if I have the reduced ability to hold or take in information then there's just not a lot getting in there yeah so sometimes it's okay can we start to learn to grow that and I do believe in neuroplasticity Mm -hmm. so yes people can recover people can regain abilities and even years after an injury so if someone's told you this is all that you can do that's a lie (laughs) <laughs> because it's not scientific. Mm-hmm. We know that we can regain function even after an injury. Mm-hmm. So I just want to encourage people that that's not true, that you can regain function. Can you regain everything? I don't know because yeah. I haven't seen your brain and I'm not sure about <laughs> that, that answer, but I think there's always something we can do. And I do know that
0: 100%. So when you work with clients, maybe in the clinic, you, I guess you do an evaluation and you see where are some deficits or some places that people might want to improve and kind of, what is your role in terms of helping them with that improvement? Is it kind of exercise based? Is it more therapy based? Is it yeah a whole broad host of things?
1: <laughs> so when I was, so I've been in private, so I say I've been in private practice now for 10 years. Mm-hmm. So I'm a psychologist by training. And so pretty much I've done psychotherapy since my experience in Mm postdoc when I was in postdoc I would do initial evaluations and so as the psychologist I'd kind of get your background your history talk about mental health symptoms and also cognitive symptoms so I'd Mm -hmm. ask you like what are you experiencing experiencing problems with memory with with attention Mm -hmm. Um, what is math like now what so a whole bunch of different questions on brain function and uh, basic life function, movement, mm-hmm. I would ask questions about, but I wouldn't assess specifically. And then when I was there, PT I might handle the movement side of things. OT would handle executive functioning in detail. Mm-hmm. Speech would handle more memory and actual speech production and being able to um, understand Written language or speech. Mm-hmm. So then we would all come back together, which is a beautiful process to <laughs> kind of look at everything that people evaluated, and then kind of say like, this is what's going on, and this is what you th- we think you might need, whether that be some psychotherapy or more OT speech therapy. So that was my role there. Now I do some evaluations and I do the mental health side of things pretty much. So I'll provide treatment for trauma so I'm a trauma therapist as well and I do biofeedback now which is a really nice adjunctive therapy for a whole bunch of things Mm -hmm. and I refer out to those other therapies that I am not that is not my expertise Mm -hmm. so that's what I do now Uh, and I do some coaching and other things podcasting (laughs) (laughs) multi-passionate things that I do Um, so primarily I would say my role is in psychology and emotional, um, health and wellness.
0: I know that one kind of, or I believe anyway, you can tell me if I'm wrong, that one common symptom afterwards is kind of emotional regulation issues, right? That people are dealing with, um, and, and I guess this is a trauma symptom as well, right? That whether, wherever trauma comes from, (laughs) um, whether it's from, you know, childhood experiences from some kind of accident or injury or just traumatic experience, um, oftentimes emotional regulation starts to dip afterwards. Like what might emotional regulation look like after incidents like this? And is it different in your experience from the kind of emotional regulation issues we see after a say adverse childhood event or a uh, a, a less uh, physical trauma?
1: Right, yes. I do notice (laughs) big differences. Mm -hmm. So with my folks that have had a brain injury, I often see like a, a reduced ability to regulate their emotions and like a big, a wider range of emotion. Uh, many times, oh, people would es- describe it like I'm on this roller coaster, and all of a sudden, you know, I I'm crying. A lot of yeah. folks that I've seen will will not have experienced a lot of tearfulness, mm-hmm. and so they're just kind of overwhelmed by not knowing how to deal with that. Some folks I've seen, you know, had intense anger that I'm I'm doing like straight anger management to help mm-hmm. them through the anger pieces of their injury. Because a lot of changes happen after brain injury where maybe they can't do the same job that they did before, mm-hmm. or can't do it right now. Maybe they lost a relationship or relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that can happen for, you know, with concussion a lot of times with the sensory issues i find i see that a lot more headaches and sensory issues with concussion yeah. and they they can't really be in a big group and yeah. you'll see this probably with a lot of different people kind of in the neurodivergent kind of realm Absolutely. is that it's hard to be in those loud environments we just had july 4th mm-hmm. and so i think about all those people that it's that's a struggle for them to be yeah. able to absorb just the sensory pieces so mm-hmm. we talk about How it's really hard for them to go in the grocery store now. And they're like, I I used to just go get groceries. Like now I can't, you know, I can't even make it through the grocery store without feeling like I'm going to cry or freak out or run out of there. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it turns into anxiety and then some avoidance because they're really scared of those environments that can have, you know, that can be more intense from a sensory perspective, like a loud environment or a really open environment like the grocery store. Mm um or you know most of my folks don't go to concerts <laughs> so it's just some do they put your you know earbuds and they're just like i need they need to rock out and that's the choice they make and i'm mm-hmm. totally in support of that because that's what they found they need to do
0: yeah but, but it can be hard yeah as somebody very hard. who has sensory issues myself um though obviously not having had a traumatic brain injury but just Going to the you you want to go to the music music is good but also it is so many people and so much pressure and the strobe lights from the stage and all those right. things can get really tricky yeah
1: yeah one hundred percent so we often work through what are their triggers you know their their sensory triggers that might might make them more anxious. And so sometimes I'll use a lot of different therapies to help them with that. So I could sometimes I do EMDR mm-hmm. um, for the trauma pieces or the anxiety pieces. I do some mindfulness work, biofeedback work for a lot of that too. Uh, and I find that a lot of people—not that they don't need other therapies, or that I know all, because <laughs> I don't—I do not. But I think it's sometimes overlooked that mm-hmm. they'll be seen in neuro rehab and they'll have. You know, all the more kind of physical or cognitive therapies and then they get discharged and then they're like, but how do I live my life? Like Mm -hmm. I'm not working anymore or I'm not going to school in the way I used to do. And they're really reeling from the identity shifts, from the emotional shifts that they felt. And it's, it's just a unique issue because it's invisible, right? Yeah. No one can necessarily tell unless there's a physical disability from a brain injury that something's changed. Mm-hmm. So their family members will look at them and like, Oh, you're still dealing with that concussion or that brain injury stuff. Um, yep. I'm still dealing with that. And I still have trouble go walking in a store yeah. or remembering things. So, yeah. yeah.
0: So there's, I'm wondering if it's similar, there are a lot of differences, but what I'm thinking about is the folks who come into my coaching practice who have been identified as neurodivergent as an adult. And so they've had, it's a little different because they've had many years of being ADHD and they just haven't had the name for it. But a lot of times that identity shift, like you just said, of that transition of suddenly I'm a disabled person and suddenly I am not the same as everybody else. I'm making air quotes for people who are on the podcast. Um, That can be really a big emotional and mental shift. And Mm. it can cause you to have to reset boundaries with your family and friends to change your expectations of what you can and can't do. And what's reasonable to ask for. And it sounds like some of that negotiation of identity might be similar to folks who've had this kind of, so there's falling down two steps or falling down a big sheer cliff. um, That renegotiation of identity sounds like it could cause long-term trauma that keeps kind of reoccurring as you're trying to make all these mental shifts too, right? So it's not just this one big traumatic event and then you heal from that trauma and then it's like done, but rather that there can be reoccurring stress and impact as you try to navigate all these changes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I think the shift is huge. You know, I was this way before and now I'm quote this way after. Mm-hmm. And so f- to have somebody move to acceptance, which our culture wants us to do yeah. to say like, you just need to accept this and move on. And they're like, but I'm a different person and I've lost a lot of stuff and I can't just switch it and turn yeah. it off and say, nothing is different. Like I went to sleep last night and it's like everything in my whole life. It's like, a, if you had, you know, like something to shake up your life mm-hmm. and upend everything, that's what it feels like. It's when people talk to me about like, it feels like there's been a tornado that came through the house or a snow globe, but they shook it up and it it's all different. And, and I don't even know how to navigate or find anything anymore or do anything. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, it's, it's really interesting how that how similar that sounds to some of, of my clients' experiences. And in in terms of the kind of neurodivergent piece, I guess I'm, it, I think it's really interesting because we have folks who are kind of born neurodivergent or in these right. categories that we call neurodivergent, right? And then we have folks who have an acquired injury or an acquired uh, brain change and um, kind of become neurodivergent in all ways that matter. Um, but would you then say, I guess based on your clients maybe do folks kind of take this label and run with it and they're neurodivergent for life now does it is it helpful for them to frame themselves in this way or is it something like they're neurodivergent for the time and then they get back all their executive function skills and manage a full recovery and then they're not neurodivergent anymore how do they frame themselves have you noticed anything in that i should ask an actual survivor probably but
1: I'm <laughs> just interested. yeah i think a survivor in their experience because i've know certainly i'm thinking of all the people i've worked with and there's broad a a, a gamut of what people have experienced you know and some who i would say some who it has been a brain complete brain shift Mm -hmm. and change and that neurodivergence does remain yeah that they if they kind of are living in health then they have found a way to incorporate that into their identity Mm -hmm. and 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 kind of let people know this, like, this is who I am, like, I have memory issues, or I say things a little bit differently. And that's part of me. And the people that, who are authentic, and that love them, and that can see them in the way that they, they really are. Mm -hmm. They accept that, and they love them for that. And they, you know, they can laugh about those things together. And it's not really an issue in those, I think, really supportive relationships. Mm -hmm. So I think I would say, yes, people do find a way to have that be incorporated into their identity. Some people do recover. So I I would, I think in in the case of concussion, I see that because Mm -hmm. again, more of a milder injury, more of a metabolic injury for someone who has structural changes to the brain, then we can assume that likely they might have some things they're going to be dealing with for the rest of their life if it's Mm -hmm. a lifelong disability. So yeah, that's, I guess that's my that's my attempt at that to answer no, that's that really question. helpful. I,
0: I recognize halfway through the question that I should be asking someone else, but just your experience with a broad kind of swath of population, um, and different people who've, who've kind of handled different things also gives and you And some a, people an have really
1: struggled with that too. I would <laughs> yeah. say if we're thinking of like a severe TBI and mm-hmm. I know that they're probably going to have lifelong issues related to that TBI, they don't want that identity yeah. and they don't accept that identity. So, when people can label them, like I'm even thinking of an individual who, like a police officer, saw Mm -hmm. them and they had ataxia. So, their body, you know, kind of made different types of movements Mm -hmm. and assumed they were drunk. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. And not, you know, not a TBI survivor. And they also, you know, had some dysarthria. So, their voice sounded potentially could have sounded like a slurred speech Mm -hmm. versus that was a symptom of their TBI. Uh, they were livid, you know, there's not like more acceptance that people can walk differently, people can talk differently, and that's how they walk and talk now. Mm -hmm. And so I don't really felt for them that they were seen that way.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it is certainly a way that um, maybe folks who are born neurodivergent and um, survivors of acquired brain injury can ally together against, with, when I think of human rights and I think of, you know, autistic youth have so many more issues with the police in the United States than neurotypical youth tend to, um, that there are just so many human rights issues around ability and disability. So this seems like a a place that we can ally Mm -hmm. together, right, regardless of where the neurodivergence came from originally. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's just
1: how can we be more, I think, curious? Mm -hmm versus accusatory like okay Absolutely. this this person is walking differently this person is talking differently can have a curiosity about that person versus having them into a box like that that person must be this or they yeah. must be that ability mm-hmm. uh and i think by by working with people of different abilities too like you know some peop- people people might assume that that speech pattern might be someone who was of a different intellectual functioning, when in mm-hmm. fact it is not. Yeah, they're not always makes... related. Right. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's a really good point, yeah. And um, I think a lot of the folks I work with too have had um, experiences where people made judgments about them based on something about the way they were moving, speaking, um, reacting to sensory stimuli, um, anything like that, you know? And that can be really frustrating and, and really, um, demeaning and makes it harder to live your life as somebody who's really trying to do their best and move forward. So, Mm
1: -hmm. yeah, Mm -hmm.
0: 100%. So what would you say for folks who are listening who have never experienced a brain injury or know anyone who has, are there, is there any advice I guess you have for people, um, who might be dealing with it for the first time or who might, you know, just not know much about it. Like, what, what should they know and what should they be thinking about?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the, I think the one thing, I had to say one thing is that it's very isolating so that, mm-hmm. to find support and to find other people that can understand you and that can either a survivor group or someone who kind of gets what you're talking about because a lot of times when I I have people come to me for therapy, they've been to other therapists who don't maybe understand the weight of what they've been through. Not that I can understand everything that they've been through, but talking to many survivors, you know, for a decade, I feel like I get a good sense of, okay, I've heard this before. Yes, Mm -hmm. you're not crazy. This is a real thing. This is super hard. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I think just knowing you're not alone, And then seeking the right help. So many times, they've heard either they've gotten bad advice because they haven't been to someone who knew about brain injuries mm-hmm. or knew the right support that they needed. Felt like they didn't get the treatment, and they've been their their recovery has been prolonged. Yeah. I think about that a lot with concussion because they used to tell us, "Well, just, just go in a dark room for two weeks, and then, you know, let call me later." Yeah which is really bad advice and something we don't recommend anymore so if you've had a concussion and you have symptoms certainly seek support mm. sooner than later. Yeah. And I think just to keep being curious and questioning if you're not getting the answers that you need that to keep looking for those answers, to keep seeking people until you feel like you've gotten an answer that makes sense to you. For therapists
0: who are practicing trauma informed care, how mm-hmm. can listeners who might want to access those people, how can they like find them or assess them for actually being trauma informed as if, I I feel like it's kind of a buzzword now and a lot of people just sort of put that there. It is. Yeah. Do you have any advice for folks who are really looking to assess if their practitioner really understands trauma?
1: Yeah. So I, you know, I am a member of Mdria, which is the EMDR, um, international association. And I would. I would encourage you to find an EMDR certified therapist. They have even more credentials than a a therapist who might be trauma-informed. So I I believe in finding someone who has been trained in an Mm evidence-based model of trauma therapy, so those would be EMDR. Cognitive processing therapy is another one, which the VA endorses, and they also endorse um, EMDR or prolonged exposure therapy. Okay. Yeah. So I would look with therapists that have specific certification and training in th- in those different modalities because we know they've been well studied. And I think those trainings do a good job of, of walking therapists through, you know, what they need to know when they're stepping into trauma work with someone. So, yeah. Yeah. It's a really complex field. To- Thank you. That's really helpful
0: because I know just, you know, you go on Psychology Today or you Google and you're trying to find somebody, it can be really hard to... Wean down who's actually trained yeah. and who's just sort of clicked the little box on their
1: profile. Right. So, yeah. And I think that, you know, when you first come out of your training, you're really, you have a generalist training. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it served me well to go through a specific trauma training mm-hmm. that, you know, really takes you through, okay, this is what you look for. These are the issues that can come up. These are some reactions that you might want to watch out for, or some things that might be problematic for someone Who's going through trauma therapy? Yeah, just yeah, to know. For sure. I know that it's very easy to re-enter folks or,
0: you know, cause harm um, using traditional therapy techniques sometimes when there has been a trauma. So, it's it's really I'm really pleased that that's something the United States is sort of starting to grapple with, and we're starting to see these programs and these specific trainings come out because it's just it's just so working with. Uh, a hugely traumatized population as a coach, too. It's nice to see people like you who have gone and, gone and done this extra work um, because it can be so supportive to clients. So, yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you for that. And where can people find out more about you and your offerings and your, your podcasts, which you should go subscribe yeah. for?
1: <laughs> where should they go find you? Yes. So I think I certainly like you can see all of my stuff on Instagram, which is I have a link there, but I'm at tbitherapist.com. I'm at tbitherapist on all the socials as well. So you can find me there. Um, I do have a brain injury group that's coming out in the fall, which is called calming the storm. And that's exclusively for people after brain injury. So that is coming in September. And all my offerings through the podcast are free. So information survivor stories. So if you just want to access some free information, uh, you can listen to the podcast. I have an email course for free. So if you want to check that out, you know, we can, it can give you those links for people if they want some free resources too.
0: Awesome. I'll put them in the show notes. I took the email course. Actually, it was really good. I forgot oh, about awesome. it because it
1: was when we first connected, but
0: yeah, it's, it was really easy to sign up and I learned a lot. So you should do good. that. <laughs> good. I'm glad that's really good feedback yeah oh i'm glad yeah no i really enjoyed it i got a lot out of it so thank you all right well wonderful thanks so much for being here today thanks for having me thank you so much for joining me here today on neurodiverging i'm so pleased you stay to the end if you would like to support this podcast and other episodes like it please check out our patreon at patreon.com slash neurodiverging. And please check out our new donate page up on the website at neurodiverging.com slash donate to learn other ways that you can either contribute financially to the podcast or donate time to support the podcast. We really appreciate it. Please check out Dr. Jen Blanchett's website, show notes below and her uh, podcast at TBI therapist podcast is really fantastic. And I've learned a lot from it and I think you will too. And please join us next time here at neurodiverging. Hit the subscribe button. Join the mailing list. We'd love to have you. And just remember, as always, we are all in this together.